this is Jordan Beal. Welcome to the Rock of Grace podcast from our Kinsman campus. We are passionate about leading people to follow Jesus together, and we're so glad that you're opening the Word of God with us today. I pray God speaks to your heart. story is never heard. What if the testimonies of God's goodness, miracles, and salvation remain unshared and untold? Your children, your neighbors, and your family wouldn't know about the good things God has done. Your story matters. Your story is our story. It's God's story of redemption, grace, mercy, and kindness. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your story of God's grace matters. Your story matters. So every single year, uh, I do a sermon series called My Story, kind of stealing my dad's idea. He did something called uh, Living Banners. How many guys have been here long enough to remember Living Banners? Yeah, that's right. And so the last three years, um, we did that via video, and we're still going to do a couple of those, but I want to do some just kind of live. We're going to do some interview style, and I actually asked Lauren last night, so she's, it's really cool that she's uh, spur of the moment. I said, hey, can I ask you just a couple questions at the beginning of my sermon, because that helps us get to know, and, and we can always glean something from someone's story. That's why that video ends like that. My story matters. Your story matters. So turn to the person next to you or behind you, look at them awkwardly, and say, your story matters. Get all nice and charismatic on them. All right? Your story matters. So one more time, put your hands to, actually, just say, hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Yes, so Nolan says hi. All right, tell us. I'm just going to ask a couple questions, all right? And be as candid, as real as possible. Okay. Tell us when you first felt the call of God to ministry. I think you actually said maybe 12. Were you that young? Well, that actually was when I had this encounter with Jesus. But okay. when I felt called to ministry, actually, I was 19 years old, and I was going to Geneva College. I just graduated high school, and I was going to Geneva College one semester, and I was a mess. I cannot, I am telling you, almost every night I would leave my dorm room and go to the stairwell where I thought nobody knew I was there and I was crying a lot. And it was so strange. And I could not put my finger on, what is wrong? Why am I crying so much? And finally, my RA came to me and I was going to be an elementary school teacher. I wanted to work with kindergarten was why I was there. And my RA came to me one day and says, Lord, what is going on? And I said, I just feel like I know, I know reading and writing is so important, but I want to teach children about the power of God. I want to teach them about signs, wonders, and miracles, and I have to get to them. I have to leave here and go to Bible school is what I really felt. But then the Lord really stirred my heart for that, and it was one step after another where God was leading me in the direction of kids' ministry. So that's how it started. You could have literally wrote my sermon. In, in my message, yes, later, I'm talking about take the next step. What's, to, what's the next step? And uh, in fact, let me ask that. It's not in my list of questions, but what was one of the next just first step? How many of you ever, you wonder what God has for your story, right? And you're picturing it, maybe a foggy picture in your mind, but then often God has just one step of obedience he wants you to, to worry about. Just do that. So what was, what was like the next one step that, that God gave you an opportunity to walk through and you said yes, and you just went through it? 
in that specific mm. situation. Yeah, I actually, it was in the middle of the school year. So actually at Victory Christian Center with Bishop Thomas at that time, he was had his school there. And I thought that could be my next step, but they already started the school. But my step was write the email and just see, will you let me come in and just start here and just see what happens. But it was a step of faith because to me, I was looking up a ton of mission organizations and I wanted the full picture of what does this look like? And I'm a planner, so it was a big stress mess, but it was really just take that next step. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. All right, what was one of the hardest things you had to overcome to actually get on the mission field? Yes, I think it was getting over that I'm not that, yeah, how should I put this? When I was working at the church, before I went into the mission field, I was working there for six years, and I thought that I, I didn't know this at the time, but I thought that I was pretty awesome. (laughs) I, I didn't know this, but I was like, wow, the kids really love me. Everybody knows me. I grew up a PK. Like, you know, this was, I, I had a lot of my identity in that. And I didn't know that until I moved and I took that step into the call and I had to get over myself and get to this humbled place of I moved to Sweden was actually the next step after that. And I went to a whole new country, ministry, nobody knew me. And I wanted to almost shout from the mountain, hello, I I sing, I love kids, you know, (laughs) but then the Lord says, get down, Lauren, get low, and then we'll take you and see what's next. And it was painful. It was painful, but worth it. <laughs> I love your transparency. So he's bringing you to a place of honest and brokenness, right? Honesty and humility and brokenness. That's beautiful. All right, so uh, let me ask you this. What do you as a missionary sharing the gospel around the world? You guys heard like some of those festivals, 40,000 kids and sometimes demons being cast out, people being set free. Uh, we just talked about uh, the reality of good and evil and demonic realm and principalities. And we we're reading Ephesians 6 just two weeks ago. What do you want as a missionary? What do you wish every American Christian realized? So if you, were, if you went out to eat today with all of these beautiful people that are they're Christians in America, how many of you guys are a Christian in America? Just curious. All right. So you go out to eat with them, right? And you're like, if I could challenge you with this one thought about Christianity or life or pursuing God, what, what would you tell an American Christian? We are so blessed. We have so much. And I think we take it for, for advantage. And I think it's so, you don't realize till you go to a lot of these places I've been going and poverty and so forth. You don't realize that, yeah, just if they would see the way we live, if they would literally see it and how just a little bit of money would just help them to even have enough clothes for their kids to go to school. I mean, we are just so blessed. And I love what you said about if one family would support one missionary who's going to maybe touch others because it's just a a connection of the way we can show the world that we are so blessed. We have so much. How can we we be a people that say we love (laughs) like Jesus if we're not really loving the poor and and going after, after that in all our hearts? So, but you don't always know it and believe it till you really get to see it with your own eyes, and you then you experience it. But we are so blessed. That's so powerful. So we're blessed, and I don't know if you caught that, sounding like the book of James, right? Well, I don't know if we can really say we love Jesus unless we care about the poor. If you forget the rest of my message, that's enough to challenge your heart, right? All right, give Lauren a hand. Thank you for sharing with us today. That was beautiful. I'm actually just going to sit down while I talk today. Is that okay?
All right. Somebody found that funny back there. I always love that laugh. I call it the old man laugh. <laughs> okay. Don't know who that was. I just made fun of you. I'm sorry. I just want to share a little bit of my story, and then we're going to talk about um, Peter and Jacob. And I think I'm going to actually skip the part about Peter and talk to just talk about Jacob because we had such a beautiful time in God's presence, and I didn't want to rush that. That was amazing. Um, Say so, real quick. I felt like I wanted to share some of my story with you guys, and some of this is going to be funny. And real quick, I want to prophesy to this guy that's like like bald. I'm sorry, I'm calling out your baldness, but I, I did. While she was talking, I just was getting this word over you, and I'm not sure who you are, but can you guys just stretch your hands towards this guy right here? I think you're a guest with us. Are you Ed's son? Oh man, you got something coming for you now. I didn't realize that till. Well, I'm going to ignore the fact that I know that now, but I'm still going to tell you what I saw in my spirit. I just feel like you are really sharp. You're really uh, smart. And the Lord, I see a robe of uh, purple on you. And the Lord's going to put you in many favorable places. You have a coat of favor on you. And it's beautiful. It's like Joseph. And uh, you, can't, you can't even get rid of that favor. And the, I think the Lord wants to just encourage you that that favor is so beautiful on you. Um, he's going to put you in places where big decisions are made. And I, I just see, I just see an oil coming over your head. And I was saying, Lord, why is his head looks? Why, why are you pointing? Why you keep pointing out his baldness to me? Seriously, I'm trying to have this conversation with the Lord while I'm listening to Lord. So it was very. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is very distracting. But anyway, I saw the Lord pouring oil. He said it's shining. He says I'm pouring oil over his head, and there's a favor coming on your life that is really beautiful. And it, you're going to be in some, some very important, sitting, seated at very important tables. And the Lord wants to encourage you to use your mouth. You are a mouthpiece. Everybody look at, what's your name? Josh. Josh. Can everybody just look to Josh and prophesy with me? Say, Josh, you're highly favored. And you are a mouthpiece. One more time. Look right at him. Look at that bald head. Say, Josh, you are highly favored. And you are a mouthpiece. And I can see a sensitivity in your wife, too. The Lord's doing something with missions, and I don't know if he's going to use the, the finances that are going to come your way with missions, but I think you need to maybe partner with our missionary out there. I'm not, like, telling you to give. That's really weird. I would never do that. I'm just telling you there's something in your heart with missions, right? And he's stirring up, like, I want my life to count and be meaningful, and it's connected to your employment. It's connected to your role. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Oh, that was cool. Okay. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Now I really got to tell this fast. But anyway, I grew up um, as a pastor's kid, and I just want to say I was left at church and the airport, and I just wanted to say that. Just wanted my parents to feel guilt and shame because that's what we're all about, a rock of grace, rock of wrath. No, just kidding. Um, I mean, I'm not kidding. I was left at church twice, actually. I was banging on the window, little nails, Terrible. But I had a great upbringing. As you know, my parents are just incredible uh, spiritual heroes of my life and enjoyed, enjoyed Royal Rangers. Uh, had a lot of good memories with my dad there. Uh, I loved youth group when I was 12. Uh, I was like, man, I want to play guitar in the youth group. And, and I, was, I was writing this out and I was thinking back through these memories. And I, I got so grateful all of a sudden for a man named Nate. And I just still don't know his last name. 
But there was a young man named Nate that was maybe 17 or 18 years old, and he mentored me on guitar for a good couple months. He was, like, showing me chords, and we were learning Newsboys songs and all those cheesy, you know, pretty much Christian boy band songs at the time. Um, And meant a lot to me, though. So, Nate, if you're listening, God used you. Gave my heart to Christ right around that age, at 13. And I felt called to ministry at the age of 14. I was a big prairie camp. How many of you guys have ever been to youth camp? Just raise your hand. It's about 20%. Wait, wait, raise it one more time. I'm just curious. Oh, wow, maybe about 30%. That's a lot of campers. How many of you went to like a really ghetto fabulous camp like I did? Big prairie, like held together by duct tape. Okay, how many of you have been to the new place, a heartland? It's like nice air conditioning. Yeah, spoiled, spoiled. Um, But I got my life totally changed by God at camp. And I want to say something real quick. You, um, I I encountered a lot of, I had a lot of these beautiful encounters with the Lord and it's all his grace. But I was just thinking as I'm saying this, I went to camp. And in fact, I remember my first year, I went with Victory Christian Center. We weren't going, our, our church wasn't going and I was the only kid. And they took me in. Uh, and, and just pretended I was in their youth group. But I want to tell you, you, you can experience God when you put your place in a place to experience God. So I don't know who that's for, but position yourself for times with the Lord and he will meet you there. Amen? So I experienced God in a powerful way. I was on the floor for a couple hours, honestly, just overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Felt called to ministry. Some of you know this story. I came home and told my dad, you guys are going to love this. If you know Mark Beal, this is classic Mark Beal. So I knock on his door about one in the morning and I said, dad, I'm 14. Okay. And I'm just a little guy. Well, I'm still a little guy, but I'm 14. I said, hey, I'm called to ministry. He opens the door. He goes, no, you're not. And shuts the door. I'm like, what a jerk. So I knocked. He opens the door and I was like, dad, I was at camp and I was called to ministry. He goes, no, you weren't. He shut the door. I was like, I was so mad. I was so mad. I pounded this time. I'm not knocking. I remember I was like, poof, poof, poof. open the door. And I said, dad, I'm called to ministry and I'm going whether you want, I'm going to ministry whether you want me to or not. He goes, good. I was just checking if it was real. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> Can you believe that? This is classic Mark Beale, right? I know. He used to do drug addiction recovery by putting drug addicts' hands on a stove. <laughs> now do you want to be an addict? But it worked. Anyway, that was my story growing up as I was called to ministry, very intense. And, uh, but it became really real for me. The idea of ministry became very real for me. I started a Bible study at my church or at my, uh, at my school. And I will never forget, there was only five or six kids coming. And I was starting to feel discouraged. And then it got down to two kids. And one day when there was two kids there, uh, one of the two, her name was Ashley. And I will never forget this because this was, this was a, a trajectory. You guys, have, you guys know what I'm talking about, like milestones in your life when God changed you? This was a milestone, life, a milestone in my life because a, a young girl named Ashley received Christ. And it was incredibly real. It wasn't even the devotion that day. Uh, but it, the Holy Spirit like entered the room and she's like, I want to be a Christian. And I'm like, whoa. And I just led her, led her to Christ. And she got, tragically, she was killed in a car accident that next month. And, and that next month. And the Holy Spirit, I'll never forget, was like, your, your Bible study matters. Your Bible study matters. And that's when God became very real to me. 
Like this matters. This isn't just a church thing that my dad does and that now I want to do. No, it was, it was very real. And so I just want to share some of these things with you that were so real to me. Right around that same time, I fell in love with Danielle. I was, becoming 15, I was 15. And the reason I know I was thinking back is because I couldn't wait till I got my license because the minute I get my license, I can drive to her house. You know, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, just real quick, is Bob here? Is Bob? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you guys what happened when I asked Danielle if I could date her. Is that okay? Not okay. Is that okay? I'm not going to look at Bob. Is that okay over here? He still scares me. I walk downstairs, and he's working on the AC unit, which is a terrible timing for me. But anyway, I come up to him, and I was nervous, more nervous than I've ever been in my life. And I'm, like, shaking. I'm like, hey, hey, Bob, Mr. Bobby. Um, um, uh, I like your daughter, and I want to, like, you know, be, like, date her. Okay, he turns around with a 15-inch wrench, and he goes, what are your intentions with my daughter? And he's holding a wrench. And I was like, please don't beat me to death. Like, I was thinking he was going to beat me to death right there. And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to be her friend, and I think she's cute. That's all I know. So he said yes, but he scared the crap out of me at first. So thank you for that. Scared the fear of God into me. And, uh, yeah, so after that, we dated. And I went to, I was going to go to Bible college, uh, but I didn't have enough money saved up. And the school I want to go to had this unique policy where you had to pay for half of the school year up front. So I went to uh, work uh, with my brother-in-law's company, Jimmy. You guys know Jimmy, the guy that plays guitar over here to the right. And I worked in a flooring warehouse for like 10 to 12 hours a day. And I would, I was just over, I worked too much. So I would come home and sometimes fall asleep literally at the dining table. Is that true or not? I'd fall asleep at the dining room table. And, uh, but it was really good for me because I saw like just real hard work and, uh, and just kind of real American life for so many people. And, and uh, at the, when I got there, a guy named Jerry was starting a, a church. And isn't it interesting how God knew, uh, you guys know God's like really smart, right? Okay, so he knew that it would put it in my heart to plant churches, so I got to be a part of a church plant from the scratch, and I was only 17 years old, and I was just turning 18 that August, and uh, became the worship leader for a church called The Well, uh, reaches about 600 people uh, today, and Pastor Jerry is an amazing guy, but I learned a lot from Pastor Jerry, his gift to communicate, his, his work ethic. He actually waited tables for 40 hours a week and then would prepare to be a pastor. And then we would meet with people, prepare a sermon. And I watched this unfold, and it was, it was amazing to me. Um, a, lot of good, a lot of amazing stories there. And then I went to Brownsville, and uh, I started growing out my hair in Chicago, so I looked like an anorexic Fabio, um, and that was great. I thought it was awesome, but Danielle did not. She's like, that looks really stupid. But when I played my guitar, it was cool, you know, because I could swing my hair back. But you grow and you mature. Um, after that, uh, in Brownsville, I want to tell you, I had some incredible encounters in Brownsville. I've told you about many of them. I want to tell you again, because I think it's really important, and I think it's going to happen here, that I had many times when the presence of God would fill the room so strongly that the teacher couldn't teach and the students couldn't learn. We just would all at once bow down and worship Jesus. 
Who thinks that's pretty cool? I thought it was pretty cool. I did not know what I was in for. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting all that. I knew God was doing something there. I had visited there, and God had touched my life there when I was about 16, and that was one of the reasons I'd, I'd gone back there. My sister Nancy had gone. And, but going there, I wasn't expecting times when I was playing guitar for, for worship, and I wasn't expecting multiple services where drug addicts would run to the altar and throw their drug stuff on my pedal board. I'm like, what? What is happening? Like they were so convicted by the spirit. They just had to get rid of their drug stuff. You guys realize pastors don't like plan that, right? When we're preaching, we're not expecting someone to run up and throw drug paraphernalia on the stage. But that's how real the presence of God was at Brownsville. How many of us would say, like, you want to see that happen right here in Trumbull County? I know I do. And we already see God do, doing a work and convicting hearts. But I'm just telling you, I experienced something there that changed my life forever. I experienced times of worship with Lyndall leading worship. This is what I love about Will is he's so sensitive to the spirit. Can you put your hands together for Will real quick and just thank him? Because I want you to know we have something very special here. There are thousands, amen? There are thousands of song leaders. Thousands of song leaders, but there are a few worship leaders, right? And so there's a calling and that anointing on Will's life that was on Lyndall's life where we could worship sometimes for an hour, hour and a half, and nobody was in a rush to get to the sermon or to get home or go out to Denny's or whatever it was. Uh, it was Denny's there, as you could tell, but you get the idea. Like it was powerful to sit in that atmosphere and to sit in that. I want to tell you a couple things before I read about Jacob. I'm going to skip the part about Peter, but I'm going to talk about Jacob. But before I do, I want to tell you a couple things. If you're taking notes, I'm not, I don't have these on the screen today. If you have your iPad or iPhone or a pen, I want you to just write a couple things. Number one, your story matters. And your story should be told because it is the testimony of God's goodness. It is the testimony of God's goodness. Your story. Everybody put your hand on your heart and say, my story. Because see, I... It's not my story. Trevor's story isn't my story. Elijah's story isn't my story. The things that God has taught and is teaching Elijah about himself is different than me and is beautiful and powerful and needs told. Amen? Your story can inspire someone else to have faith in God. This, this is one of my favorite things about pastoring is to just have someone over for a meal and hear their story. And so many of you have heard your stories and it's a beautiful, it's amazing. And sometimes the heartache, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute, the heartache, the hard things in life that we experienced, we look back and we say, that's when God ministered to us the most, isn't it? Think about the way Paul inspired Timothy, all right? Think about the way that he inspired Timothy and told his story to young Timothy and didn't just do his thing, but inspired someone else's story. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. 
And I read that verse three weeks ago when we talked about the demonic realm, but I want to say it again because when you open your mouth and you speak boldly the goodness of God, that's because he has filled you with his love. Let me say it again. It's because he's filled you. So love compels you to speak the truth. Love compels you to invite people into the goodness of God. But fear of man will tell you, zip it. Don't say a word. What if you break a friendship? What if you lose your job for this? And the enemy will get in your head and tell you, don't tell your story. Or he'll tell you this lie. Have you ever heard this lie? Your story isn't as good as their story. Do you know one of the best testimonies you can have is that God spared you from different addictions and pitfalls? Amen? Come on, somebody, somebody said I needed that, right? Listen, your story matters and don't let the enemy get in your head and say, well, let somebody else tell. No, you tell your story. The book of Revelation says, right, that in the end times, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And God is raising up a people in these end times who will speak out, who will speak up, who will talk to teachers, who will talk to board members, who will talk to principals, who will talk to neighbors about what the Bible says, about truth, about reality, about gender, about love, about the Bible. Amen? So we have to be willing to let the spirit of wisdom come into our life and give us the fear of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom is the spirit of God. What is that wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord, right? And will cause you to run from sin and to cause you to resist the devil and to chase after the things of God, to let your story be marked by encounters with God. And here's the thing. I want to tell you, when you tell your testimony and you get brutally honest, right? So God had me do this three years ago. Uh, you can look up that video if you want. But God had me get brutally honest about the darkest time in my life. And he asked me to do it on a Sunday morning. I was like, no, thanks, God. No, thanks. Right? And God has a way. Don't you think God has a way of getting your attention? Right? So I had typed it into my sermon and then deleted it and then typed it and then deleted it three times. And you know how God got my attention? An artist came over the Friday before and he starts rapping. It was a rap artist. And he starts rapping the very things that God was dealing with me about. And I was like, oh, I was feeling the conviction, like major. So God used that, though, because multiple people came up to me after that sermon and said, Jordan, thank you for being so real. I thought I was the only one. Hear me. This is what a testimony does. It breaks the lie that says, what's wrong with you? You're the only one. Let me say that again. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's the intruder. How many were here the last three weeks? We talked about who is the enemy, right? Who is God? Who is man? And who is Satan? The enemy not only tempts you to sin, but then once you do sin, he tries to get you in a place of shame where you hide from everyone and you hide from God. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? The only way, though, hear me, that grace can do its work is when you let, let the door open and you say, God, this is what I need forgiven of. And I'll tell you, when you really get free, is when you're willing to tell others, this is what God forgave me of. You say, Jordan, I could never do that. 
See, here's what Satan tells you. What if they find out? If you already tells them, if tells them, if you already tell people what God saved you up, who cares if they find out? They already know. See how it gets you free? It gets you free. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you want to get free? Because see, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. See, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to one another for healing. And a lot of Christians miss out on the healing and the freedom that God wants to give them in life because they're, 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 too, they're too, I'm not gonna say anything that God forgave me of. But I wanna tell you that right there in a life group, a life group is a great way to say, look, this is what God taught me five years ago or five days ago. And this is what I'm learning. Amen? I wanna tell you there is a supernatural power in the telling of your story. Jesse and I were talking about this over dinner a couple nights ago. Think about this. Jesus spoke the world into existence. Come on. There's sound waves are vibrations that have power. I want to say it again. Sound waves, they're vibrations that have power. Do you guys know that? It's real. This is why I think music is so fascinating, such a mystery to me. Sound waves, sound was created by God. Put your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. Sound was created by God. The enemy tries to manipulate. The enemy always manipulates because he can't create, so he manipulates. So sound is created by God, and God, with a spoken word, said, earth. I don't know if he said it like that. Earth, come into existence. Oceans, waves. I think I want some trees. I think I want a Nolan over here. I think I want a Carol over here. Now, Carol, you have to be as loud as Nolan. No, I'm just kidding. Carol. Carol. <laughs> he creatively speaks, and Carol comes to life, and Nolan comes to life, and the trees. He, at the sound of his mouth. Isn't that powerful? By the way, this is why I think prophecy is so powerful. This is why Paul says, above all else, I wish that all would prophesy. Why? Because there's power when you release the truth. It's one thing to have the truth. It's another to release the truth because it changes the atmosphere. Come on, the vibration. Is anybody getting this? Is it hitting your spirit? All right. So the power of your story. In fact, I want to back up and tell you something I skipped over real quick. Part of my story was being at Brownsville and Jody, who was one of the staff, is the, pre the president's uh, assistant. She kept coming up to me and saying, you have a gift of prophecy. I know you do. And I didn't, I didn't really understand what that meant. And then she started knowing every time she would come up to me and say, you want to prophesy to that guy in the red shirt, don't you? And I'm like, oh my gosh, how does she know this? This is weird. This is like twilight zone. Like I would have a thought about someone and then she would have a word of knowledge about my word of knowledge. <laughs> Let that mess with your theology. So she would come up and say, Jordan, are you going to be faithful or not? And it would convict me. And this was semester after semester, year after year. She'd say, Jordan, you have a gift of prophecy. Use it. And I'm telling you, I would not be prophesying if it wasn't for Jody opening her mouth and challenging me. You guys receiving this today? So I want you to be thinking, who is around you that you can be sharing your story with and encouraging, using your mouth and testifying? I want you to think for a moment. I'm going to skip the part about Peter, and I'm just going to share... Oh, that was a good part. We're going to save that for another sermon. I was really excited about that, but that's okay. 
Turn in your Bibles, and I'll just give you just another five minutes if you're okay. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32. I want to tell you about a time when Jacob wrestled with God. And I had this whole thing prepared about with, with Peter and then my story. And then I actually, early this morning, I always ask God on Sunday mornings, is there one more thing you want to say? And he led me to Genesis for some reason. He led me to this. And I found out why. And you'll find out in just a minute. Jacob is trying to make amends with his brother Esau. If you don't know, Jacob and Esau were Abraham's sons. It's about four weeks ago. We talked about Abraham receiving the promise. He's the father of faith. He's the patriarch of Israel. All of God's people would be blessed through this family. Everybody say blessed. Say through this family. All right, so Jacob, though, he's born and he's, de- he's deceptive. He's always trying to wiggle his way out of something and manipulate the data, manipulate the facts, and he's deceptive. And he has this problem, right? So Isaac has these two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau's just along for the ride, you know? So he decided his brother Esau, he had deceived him many times later. And now in their adult lives, Jacob wants to make amends and he hears Esau is coming to him. Now, he's afraid for his life because he thinks his older brother, which, by the way, was a hunter, okay? So probably much stronger than him, much more athletic, if you will. Like, he's like, he's going to kill me. Now, Jacob had acquired a lot of wealth. The blessing of God certainly was upon his life, just like God had said. And so he tries to give him half of all of his livestock. So I want you to picture this. Jacob is a shepherd. He has all this livestock. He has these sheep, these cattle, and these goats, and he, he sends his servants ahead and says, tell Esau, hey, bro, it's all good. I don't know if he did that gang sign, whatever that was, but he said, it's all good between you, me and you. You just take half of this, and please don't kill me. You guys tracking with me? Okay. But Esau walks past them, and Jacob's like, oh, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me, and embraces him. Wow. So let's read it. Let's pick it up. Genesis 32, verse 6. O God of my father Abraham, God of Isaac, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of these deeds and your steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For only with my staff I crossed over Jordan and now I have become two camps. Deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau. I fear him that he may come and attack me, my mothers and their children. But you said, you said, God, I surely will do you good and make your offspring as numerous as the sea. This is funny to me because he's telling God, you realize, God, if Esau kills me, you can't make good on your promise to make me a father of many nations. Isn't that hilarious? He's like, so you pretty much have to let me live. And so he creates this huge peace offering. Verse 22, we pick it up. Verse 22. The same night he rose and he took his two wives. By the way, I don't recommend that. One wife was, is good. Just one. Everybody say, just one? (laughs) Side note. Okay. He took all his female servants, 11 children, crossed over the fort. He took them and he sent them across and everything he said. And and Jacob left alone. Everybody say alone. See, that jumped off the page to me. Jacob, his whole life, is trying to hide behind others, hide behind his wealth, his possession, his intellect, his ability to change the facts, but no, Jacob is now alone. One more time, everybody say alone. You see, God will wait till you're alone. You guys know God, God will sometimes let all of your friends desert you so he can finally get your attention. 
God will sometimes let the job not work out so he can get your attention. When Jacob was all alone, a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. He said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. So now he's realizing this is an angel or this is God himself. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. He said, why is it that you ask my name? But there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel for saying, I have seen God face to face, but he has let me live. The sun rose upon him as he passed, limping because of his hip. Now look at, now look at verse chapter 33. So he wrestled with God. Everybody got that? Wrestles with God. He's got a limp. I think it would be good for a lot of American Christians to walk with a limp. Pastor Ed one time told me over breakfast, he said, I don't trust anybody without a limp. And that stuck with me because I knew what he was referencing this chapter right here. Esau ran to him and embraced him. So he encounters God alone with God, thinking Esau's on his way over the hill country. He's going to kill me. But Esau walks past Leah, walks past Rachel, all the kids, all the livestock, and walks right up and embraces him. When Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the children, he said, who are all these? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given. The servants drew near and all their children and Leah likewise and her children, they all bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they too bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company? And Jacob said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Esau said, I already have enough, brother. Keep what you have. Jacob said, no, please, I have found favor in God's sight. Let me have find favor in your sight. Accept this gift. Listen to what he says. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. I've read the Bible through many times. I've never seen that. Esau was deceived by Jacob, stole his birthright. How many of you are Esau and your younger brother twerp steals inheritance? You'd be pretty ticked. But for some reason, God softens Esau's heart. And here's what I want to say. If you are willing to forgive people, come on. That's what we talked about last week. And just let your story be what it is. Signs of God's grace. Look how Joseph said, in your face, I saw God. Wow. The grace of God right there seen in Esau's face. Now check out what happened next. Genesis 35. Look at verse three. Let us arise and go up to Bethel. There I will make an altar to God who answers me in my distress and has been with me everywhere I have gone. Do you know God's been with you throughout your entire journey? How many can look back on life and say, my story, even with its detours, God was with me? Isn't that beautiful? Fast forward to verse 14, look at this. He built a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Every time future generations would walk past this pillar of stone, 
the, at least the next few months anyway, they would smell the oil that Jacob poured. He said, there in my distress, do you know in your hardest times of life, the hardest parts of your story, how many have some hard parts of your story? In the hardest parts of your story, there's some anointing there. He poured oil on that rock. Oil is a symbol of anointing. I'm gonna have Will come up and we're gonna lead this song again as we close. I want you to think about this. There is oil in your story. Do you hear that this morning? Think back to some of the hardest thing you went through. If you have a time that you can think of that was very hard financially, raise your hand. There's oil in that story. You catch what I'm saying? Think about a time when your marriage was on the brink. There's oil in that story. There's anointing that you can draw from. You see, when, when Samson, remember, remember when Samson killed the lion? It's his greatest battle, but what happens later? There's honey in the carcass. There's oil on that rock, that place where you were in your lowest moment, when you were in your distress and you thought, everybody has rejected me, everything's going wrong in my life. Guys, part of my story I left out today, I would tell you right now, stand up to your feet. I won't go into the specifics of it because it'd be very awkward. But I will tell you, I went through something very difficult in Bible college and I went to three doctors and do you know what they told me? That I wouldn't have kids. Isn't Satan's life funny? Now I have so many kids, I can't keep track of them. I have to number them because there's so many. I don't even call them by their name. I'm like, is there five? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, we're good. But I really wanted kids. And so I, I knew, I was already in love with Danielle and I knew coming out of Bible college, like we're gonna have kids. And so for, for me to go to a doctor and him to say, you're not gonna have kids. I was mad at God. I was really mad at God. You ever been mad at God? It's the only couple of you nodded there, which tells me we need to get to a new place of brokenness. So I'm going to ask again. Have you ever been mad at God? Yeah. Do you know it's okay to say that? Do you know that's half the book of Psalms? God, where are you in my distress? Do you know what God wants from you more than anything else? Honesty. Can I say it again? God wants more than anything else from you, just honesty. He wants brokenness. And when you go through something, and some of you might be in the room today, and you're thinking, I'm going through something right now. And you say, you know, I'm mad at God because He hasn't answered me. And here's the thing, I thought for sure this doctor was wrong, so I went to the next doctor. Same thing. You're not gonna be able to have kids. And I looked right at him with tears in my eyes and said, I'm going to have kids. I promise, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, I'm going to have kids. I said, God will heal this, I promise you. And God did, and it was fine. But that moment was a dark moment in my life that now I can look at, I can have a moment with you 
If Dennis were to come to me and say, Jordan, I don't even know if God can handle this. I'd be like, oh, God can handle it. Let me tell you my story. You see what I'm saying? It was a, by the way, it was two months after that, that I prophesied to a woman about God opening up her barren womb and God did it. And she, and she got pregnant and she had a cyst and the doctor told her she would never have kids. See, my story builds faith in you for your story. And your story builds faith in whoever you are telling it to. And I promise you, your story matters. Amen? Your story matters. Jacob's story is like Peter's story. He messed up, right? But God met him alone. Peter's not with all the other disciples. Jesus finds Peter on the shore alone and he's making breakfast for him. And he says, do you still love me? Because I still love you. Wow. Jesus always will come to you when you're all alone. Before we sing this song, I want to give an opportunity. Just bow your heads. If you say right now, I got to tell you, Pastor Jordan, I have felt alone. I'm going through something nobody knows about. And it's a lot to bear. I want to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come forward. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Come on, just be honest. Just raise it up. About 20 of you. Here's what's amazing. God knows exactly what you're going through. And for those of you that raised your hand, I want to invite you to make sure that at some point you go to a life group and you say, here's what it is. I got to lay it all out there. Sometimes it's something out of your control, but sometimes it's, it's, it's a sin of your own doing, right? So you got to be honest with that. Find a friend and say, hey, can you keep this between me and you? But this is what I'm struggling with. And I promise you there is a freedom that's going to come into your life if you will open the door of honesty. So let's just all, if we could, just open our hands. Let's pray something together and then Will's going to lead us in this song that he taught us. Heavenly Father, let's all say this. Heavenly Father, teach me to be honest. Teach me to be broken, humble. Teach him to be real. And bring healing to the areas of my life that I previously left off limits. Let's say that again. Bring healing to the areas of my life that I previously left off limits. Say this to him. Say, Jesus, you have access to every part of me. Nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this to